Navigating around brokenness seems like the most sensical thing a person could do. Because with brokenness comes pain, shame, and rejection. I mean, who would want to dive right in to those horrible feelings? We want to live happy lives, so we're going to avoid the bad at all costs. Keeping away from being vulnerable and putting ourselves out there seems like the best way to avoid encountering these feelings. But what if we could use brokenness to make us stronger and more wholehearted people? In this episode, we will be exploring the art of brokenness, the emotions that come with it, and the practice itself. You're listening to Smart. of us laugh off the existence of witches today or ever particularly today yet even so casual a research source as a daily newspaper would provide us with knowledge that there are covens all over the country and the world and that witchcraft is on the rise again of course all of them in their minds are dedicated to good works as the following tale will illustrate brokenness can be scary Something we definitely want to avoid. Like a witch who stirs evil potions on the weekends and during the weekday disperses evil and vile things like pain, shame, and rejection. And speaking of shame, it seems like that is the place all of this begins. The path to brokenness at least. And it shouldn't be too hard to find because everyone experiences shame, right? Okay, um... Shame is, I think, a complex emotion because many people feel it different ways just depending on their circumstances. But for me, shame has been mostly like a a rethinking, like, wait a minute, so am I actually good enough? That idea of not being enough has to be the very first thing we feel when we encounter shame. And just in the first few minutes of my interview with her, Kiana put it so well, and it made it easily relatable. She is a documentary filmmaking major, and I just got to sit down with her, wherein she told me a story when she experienced shame herself. I guess I can give an example from when I was in elementary school, and even now. Basically, um, academically, I'm not that good at it. I'm just not that focused. I'm not as fast as all my other um, fellow students, things like that. I'm just usually behind. And when I was a kid, all the other kids got like A's and B's and there's like this thing that would give like fake money if you got like good grades and you'd be able to get like candy and stuff. And I would always be the one to get like almost nothing every time. And it really got to me, and I carried it with me through high school. And it wasn't really about the whole money thing. It was just simply the fact that I knew I was smart, and I knew that I wasn't inferior to the other kids. But for some reason, I just could not 
get straight A's. I could just not get the 4.0. It just never happened. So then high school, I almost didn't graduate um, because I just don't think like other people do. And a lot of teachers need to, wouldn't have to accommodate for me. And that is not the easiest thing to do in a classroom. So it doesn't usually happen. And in high school, I was still behind. And even though I tried my best to get on honor roll and do certain things, it just never, never worked out. And so I kind of gave up. Like my sophomore year, I was like, eh, yeah, let's not. And so I kind of had like this form of senioritis um, from like my second year of high school. And I just didn't do much. And when I did, I would do it only so I could pass. It wasn't because I thought I could excel. It wasn't because I thought I could do better. It was simply because I all I expected of myself was passing. And um, that was difficult because my parents would tell me that I was smarter than that. Or people at church would be like, you're smarter than that. and Or even people from like when I was a young child that were either my teachers or People that watched over me were like, oh, she's a smart girl. I don't understand why she's doing badly in school. And um, people never took anything else into consideration. I struggle with not having a very, very small attention span and also with being sort of a daydreamer. Like I'm, most of the time I'm not really focused on what's happening. I'm like 50 paces in another direction. And it's really hard for me to zone in. And I've been feeling shame for being not smart enough, not organized enough, not, not on top of things enough my whole life. And now that I'm in college and it means so much more to succeed and there's so much more pressure um, on, all, on all ends from my family financially or paying a lot more, taking out loans, um, my advisors, my mentors, my department... It's just so much more pressure, and now it's I'm still I'm still struggling. I'm still behind. I'm still on the lower side of things. And just yesterday, even I had a conversation with my advisor, and it was really really stressful because basically I have to do like all this work in a small amount of time for me to even just get my GPA up to a passing point. And that seems impossible. And I've come to a place where I think I've, I haven't given up, but I don't, I'm just like overwhelmed with the amount of things I have to do. So I've kind of just been stagnant. And whenever I miss an assignment or whether I do an assignment wrong or anything like that, in my mind, it's like all those voices from when I was like a kid or from like high school is just like, yep, doing it again. I mean, can't really get any better than this, can it? Or like, oh, you just keep doing the same thing. Like, when are you going to get better? Or like, you just keep selling yourself short. Like, all these different ideas and beliefs that are false that I've believed my whole life that I'm not good enough. And um, that shame is crippling because now I find it 30 million times harder to succeed academically. And I'm paying way much, like, way more for it. And... I have a lot more at stake because it's my career, it's my life goals, things like that. So shame is a very, is actually a very current theme in my life right now. You're selling yourself short. Get better. Suck it up. You're not enough. 
These are things that the witch called brokenness likes to scream at you when you're down, when shame and rejection hit. But how can we possibly take that and use it to positively impact our lives, to make this witch into something else? Well, before we continue figuring out the art of brokenness, we should define it first. Brokenness to me is whatever individually hurts me. This is my friend Bruna, hailing from Connecticut and studying speech path. I was very interested to hear her definition of brokenness because I think everyone has their own personal definition, but it is always rooted in the same place. It could be from a... um a bad grade on a test or a disappointment in a relationship or or family problems or anything that that hurts me anything that causes me pain um, and that varies depending on the situation on how broken a situation has caused me to become or or it varies for for different people some things may may make you feel broken some things may not depending on who you are um, how I deal with brokenness, uh, I tend to wallow for a for a bit, sometimes longer than, than other times. Ice cream works really well, depending on what's happening. Uh, I like to talk about it sometimes. Sometimes I don't like to talk about it. Um, sometimes I'll talk about what's making me feel this way, what's causing the pain, why I'm feeling broken. Um, and then I, I try to move forward, and from the conversations that I've had, I, I try to, yeah, to move forward and, and keep going. Simply put, and what I was getting from Bruna when I was talking to her, is that brokenness is being teared down by the negativity in our lives. Coping is healthy, of course. Eating ice cream, wallowing, only for a bit. But how do we use brokenness to our advantage? How do we use it to move forward, to grow? Now, if we want to use brokenness to our advantage, it only makes sense that we should anticipate it. If tragedy, evil, suffering are going to come to us periodically, then why not be ready? Why not always be on guard? It only makes sense. I feel like with anticipating shame or regret, I feel like it's a really dangerous place to be. Wait a second. Are you guys hearing this? Is Shally saying that we shouldn't anticipate shame? If we know it's coming, what are we supposed to do about it? What do we do? I think a lot of times this is a question that's based on perception and your experiences. So for me personally, I say that anticipation almost equals fear, right? So situation, let's say you're in a relationship and you're constantly anticipating that person breaking up with you. You're going to be limiting the relationship that you're in. That's a really bad place to be. So I feel like instead of anticipation, we could be prepared, right? So switching the word from anticipation to being prepared would be more of a stable way to go about things. Like let's say with a situation, you are single, right? And you're thinking about going to a relationship. So you're prepared for, you know, later on in life, if I ever go through rejection, what am I going to do in order to be able to cope with that? Reminds me of like your post that you put on Facebook when you ask everybody, like, how do you cope with um, disappointment? That's what it was. And everybody had their own way of going about things. So like, for instance, for me, like if I prepare for a bad situation, I'm going to write it down, sleep on it, wake up, really think about it from another position or other perspective, 
and then digest the whole situation. So I feel like instead of anticipating shame and rejection, we should prepare for the situation instead of constantly living in fear of something bad always happening. I got you. I can sense that we're moving closer and closer to the art of brokenness. And I think that our next interview, well, the next person that will help us out, rather, Logan, will kind of start to hone in on what exactly we can do. But before we hone in on solutions, we have to hear another story. A story of brokenness, a story of shame, and a story of rejection. And I will say this, after talking with Logan Stout, who is a student over at the seminary, I learned that when we are able to open up about our past brokenness, our past shame, our history of being able to use it in a beneficial way, a way that can help push us forward, that also is the first step, or one of the first steps in the art of brokenness. It's the vulnerability of being able to talk about things that have affected us in the past because we have accepted it, we've learned from it, and we've moved on bravely. Yeah, I think like when it comes to brokenness, rejection, things of this nature, it's a it's a common reality that, that happens within life experiences. Um, I would say when you think of something like that, everyone always goes to the worst moment. Um, and so I'll do the same um, you know, I, I was in my late or early 20s, started dating a girl. We, we dated for, for four and a half years, uh, one of these situations where you think you're going to marry. Um, and I found myself in a, a breakup, breakup with lots of backstory as to why the breakup would happen and, you know, how things went down that I don't necessarily need to get into because everyone can resonate with that. But um, I remember the breakup well. Uh, because it sent me into devastation. You know, you think this person doesn't want you anymore. They're not interested in you. You know, what's going on? Why the, are they, though, still on your telephone texting you, wanting to interact with you? And I remember I left my place of work, decided to go visit my folks for a few days, which was a terrible, horrible idea because the last thing you want is to lay on your couch like in sadness crying and your mom be like, is everything okay? Can I take you to Kohl's and get you something nice to, uh, like, no, mom. She's like, can we go to your favorite restaurant? No, we can't. I haven't eaten this week. Um, you know, these kinds of things. And I don't think the, the brokenness and rejection set in until I was um, at my best friend's house in Nashville on my way back to North Carolina and I stopped there for the weekend, and my other friend was coming, and we were about to go downtown Nashville for the day, get some food, this kind of thing, and I was standing there, and I hadn't in about a week looked in the mirror. I had avoided that that idea um, because I didn't really want to look at myself because I saw someone that I was ashamed to be. And I remember standing there and looking next to me, and my friend had his hair clippers out, and uh, for me, like, looks is an important part of who I am, and my acceptance comes with people accepting the way I look, dress, and, and act. And I, and I picked up the hair clippers, and I put a one guard on, and I just, like, cut all my hair off. And uh, that was, like, a moment for me when I felt probably most rejected. Um, I had come to the realization that I didn't need a mirror to brush my teeth. I just needed a mirror to fix my hair, and I knew that if I shaved my head, I wouldn't have to look at myself anymore. Um, so like this is like a time in my life that I probably felt most rejected, um, unaccepted, and, and unworthy to, to exist in certain lights. 
but it wasn't until I started to um, to think about like what that meant. And, and I was a youth pastor at the time, and, and I didn't tell anyone that I buzzed my head, but I had a meeting that next Tuesday with my youth on my Tuesday night program, and I wore a hat that week. And somebody came up um, and asked me, or they asked me during prayer requests why I was wearing a hat. And I, and I said, you know, uh, just wearing a hat because I want to because I don't usually wear hats. And I took the hat off, and I had this buzzed head, and I got like this awe from the crowd. And they had known that I had recently gone through this breakup. And uh, it was at that moment that I realized that people don't care about what you look like. And it's like all these things and all these emotions and feelings going through my head. But for me, like how I cope with those things is like the breakup was hard. The realizations were hard. Um, but for me, uh, I think the hardest thing was to step back and look at my role in this situation. Um, you know, with the girl, I knew what she had done and why we had broken up and like all these things that were miserable. But I realized that when it's, you know, dealing with rejection and failures, we have to look at ourselves. Um, because, uh, you know, as much as I'd like to tell everyone I'm like this perfect person, it's not a reality. And there are these times in your lives where you have to to say, okay, break up hard. Learning hard. Growth hard. But all necessary in order for me to step forward. Um, I, I'm the kind of person that, that is pretty easy to evaluate myself, to step back and say, okay, you know, um, Logan, you were doing these things. Why were you doing them? Why were they wrong? And so for me, in any situation where I've re found rejection or failure, I've had to step back and say, what were you doing that got you to that place where someone was rejecting you, someone was um, seeing you as a failure and then not wanting to exist within you? And I think that's been also the hardest thing because whenever you think about what kind of person you are, you think, oh, I was rejected, so it's their fault. They didn't want me. They didn't think I was good enough, but I am good enough. And that's not necessarily always true. I think especially when it comes to the dating world, I'm not always good enough. just listening to a very popular song by Joy Division that came out in 1980 entitled Love Will Tear Us Apart. And the song details the lead singer, Ian Curtis, his struggle within his marriage and how his love for his family and his wife would tear him apart at times when he was vulnerable. And to be honest, this sounds awful. It sounds heartbreaking, but it is simply a risk that we have to take. Being vulnerable, being open, and truly dealing with brokenness takes vulnerability. To be able to open up and say, I will run the chance of being broken. And in that brokenness, I will seek to understand myself fully and learn from what has happened that has caused me to reach this point in the first place. And again, brokenness is okay. We will encounter it. But we need to learn to not just sit in it, to let it breathe through us and use it to our own benefit. 
Now here's the rest of Logan's story. And fortunately, like as promised, things do get better. I think learning is one of the hardest things that we do as people. You know, stepping back and saying, what kind of, what kind of things can I learn from, from rejection? And I've just noticed that typically I can learn a lot about myself. And it usually f takes rejection and failures for us to ever actually implement change. Because we're in a situation in America where there's a rut mentality. Where we go to work every day, we, we come home, we have the same habit, we have these same ideas. And until one of those things blows up, um, if we, whether that would be like losing your job or you know, as simple as your favorite television show getting canceled, it makes you change things. Um, and you have to, I think it's important during any amount of change in your life to look back and say, was the time that I was spending on this thing worth my time? Was it valuable to me? Um, because in reality, it's easy for me in a four and a half year relationship that ended abruptly to say that was a waste of time. And yeah, I mean, if the goal was to live forever with this person, I could obviously say that that might've been a waste of time. But the goal was not that. It was the goal was to make me a better person and to make me happier along the way. And uh, I think that that was a success, even though it may have been difficult. But I think that my future relationships, my future television shows, my future educations, my future jobs are always, go always going to benefit because I was willing to say, when I lost those things, um, what did I do wrong? What did I evaluate the problem was and and I think a big part of that was even you know being willing to talk to other people talking to my ex-girlfriend talking to you know an ex-boss in those situations and ask the hard questions of why didn't this work out and even though I have a lot of hard feelings towards that person or those those things um, finding out what I can do to to grow is such an important part for me of rejection because that's that's all we should want to do as as um, people is to want to grow and to get better and to, to get more experience and bring more positive vibes to, to situations because we've been able to learn. The American dream tells us that we should never um, focus on our own failures but only focus on our successes. And I think that's a broken mentality because failures are what are able to teach us and to show us and to make us better people. Maybe not richer. Failures don't always make us richer. Successes make us richer. But failures make us better lovers, better communicators, more kind, more compassionate, more willing to understand other people and define other people as just that, people with hearts and failures and, and rejections just like we have. And uh, I think that's, for me, the biggest come around is that Whenever I fail in some area, I know that my failure is going to be able to allow me to connect to someone differently and better, and that's going to be a positive come that I'm going to take from that. The world breaks everyone, and afterward many are strong at the broken places. But those that will not break, it kills. It kills the very good and the very gentle and the very brave impartially. If you are none of these, you can be sure it will kill you too, but there will be no special hurry. Next, we're going to nail down three points to help give the art of brokenness a perfect summation. But before that, here's a word from our sponsors. That quote, one of my favorites, is from Ernest Hemingway's book, A Farewell to Arms. And it details the author's thoughts, his ideas on the world around us. 
It's a world full of entropy, full of chaos, and can bring hurt into our lives at a moment's notice. Sometimes it's by our own fault. Other times it's something that we simply could not control. But why not take what the quote is saying to us and apply it to our own lives? Let us move with grace when times of brokenness come and visit us. We don't numb it. We don't try to push it away. We let it come in, let it breathe within us. We use it as an opportunity to grow stronger, to see the strength in vulnerability, to reconsider things that we've been doing possibly for years, learn lessons, and become better people. And lastly, we will have a quick summation of all the things that we've talked about in the form of three steps in the art of brokenness. But before that, here's a quick commercial break. Also, just as how many people usually do and what Shelly talked about, coping is a great way to deal with brokenness. Methods that you know that work well to help you heal and to help you to be reflective and learn from what has happened. This is the big step, the middle step. This is being in the arena with brokenness, dealing with those emotions, but knowing that as you're working through them over time with people you trust, discussing it with others, you are making progress in your own emotional self-development. And lastly, step number three. This process doesn't last forever. Don't forget to let it go. Try to go back to normal. Try to move into a place of happiness that you were hopefully at before brokenness came. And remember what life was before this process started. And I hope that when the art of brokenness is over, in this instance, you will be stronger and you will learn from what has happened in your past. A big thing to remember is is that always realize that you are enough. Nothing can happen in this life that should change your value. Your value, the things you're able to do, the things you succeed at, things that you fail at, are only byproducts of who you already are. You will always and will be enough. All right, we made it to the end. And that is the art of brokenness. I know this may have dealt with themes that this show hasn't touched on before, but I was happy to explore it for the first time with you guys. I would like to sincerely thank Kiana Gurley, Bruno Barbosa, Shelly Torres, and Logan Stout for being open, honest, and vulnerable on this show. Couldn't have done it without you guys. If you love Smart Podcast, love this episode, and love any other episode that has been made so far, be sure to go to the podcast page on iTunes, leave a star rating, a review. That helps a lot. And if you caught it, a lot of this episode was informed by Brene Brown's book, Daring Greatly. I had just read it and experienced a period of brokenness on my own, so I could not resist exploring this topic. And that'll be all for now. Thank you so much for joining me and all of us here at SMART.
Dude, I'm telling you, the entire time, I just want to eat the sandwich when I was making this episode. I am freaking starving. Oh, you're, <laughs> you're still here. Well, since you decided to stick around, here is some audio of smart alum Janelle Monroe and Adrian Marson sucking helium out of a balloon. <laughs> Yo! Yo! That's crazy, son. <laughs> Wait, where's the hole? You don't know where you poke the hole? Here it is. Did you want to take some out? I'll poke my own hole. <laughs> it's running out, so you might want to. Yeah. 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 Yeah.